This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. How can you safely and comfortably hunt the coldest days of the year in your region? I'm covering that and more on this episode. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the New Hunter's Guide, the podcast and YouTube channel, helping new hunters get started and helping active hunters learn new things. I'm your host, George Kanidis, and today I am talking about hunting the coldest days of the year wherever you live. To be specific, I'm talking about the 5% coldest days of the hunting season. These are the days where it's just the coldest that it gets wherever you live. Now that temperature is going to be different in southern Ohio than it is in northern Maine. It's going to be different in Alaska from the upper peninsula of Michigan. It's going to be different from where I live in Pennsylvania than it is in Kentucky. But the bottom line is wherever you live, the coldest days of the year in your area. And interestingly enough, there's a lot of similarities between how you would gear yourself for those coldest days, whether you live in Kentucky or all the way up to northern Michigan. Of course, there's differences, but there's a lot of similarities because it's the coldest days of the year for you. And each one of our bodies processes temperature in relativity. All right. Um, Well, actually, that's not the right word, but we relatively process temperature, okay? So, you know, wherever you live, whatever temperatures you're used to, the coldest temperatures of the year for you are what you perceive as the most extreme. Whereas, for example, people that live where I live in western Pennsylvania, you know, we've got some cold days that we have. I've hunted on days where it was seven or eight degrees you know, in the morning and didn't get a whole lot warmer than that by the afternoon. And to me, those are really cold days to be hunting. However, people that live in Alaska, that is not real cold. 
oftentimes they're not wearing half the gear that I would wear to hunt those temperatures because they are used to much colder temperatures and they've built up a tolerance and they know what they need to wear, but they, they hunt and they experience those temperatures differently. There's a lot of times people in certain places of the country and in the world, you know, positive digits for them, they're looking at as relatively warm. Whereas, you know, if it gets down below negative 20, negative 30, they're looking at that as super serious critical cold. Um, you know, and then you get down to the negative 50s and that's when it's really bad. Uh, but so, but that's relative to what they're used to, to what they experience, to what they're dressed for and geared for on a daily basis. So they're going to experience higher degrees of dangerous or severe weather in many of the same ways that I'm going to experience less severe weather. But to me, it's going to feel very severe, even though relatively speaking, it's not that bad. And maybe I'm going a little further in that than is helpful. But the bottom line is whatever the coldest days are for you, you perceive as the most extreme. And a lot of these tips are going to be helpful and hold water across various different regions and climates, even though, of course, there's going to be differences. But a lot of the advice holds true no matter where you live. So why would you be out in the coldest of the cold days? Well, because the game is out on the coldest of the cold days. I've hunted ducks when it was single-digit weather. I've gone out for deer when it was so cold. By 9 o'clock in the morning, I've, I was almost too cold to climb down from my tree stand. I've been out in some crazy weather for hunting turkeys. And just, you know, it's just terrible weather. But you know what? The game's out there. The deer are out there. The ducks are out there. The turkeys are out there. The pheasants are out there. And you can't get them if you don't go out there. And sometimes you just get a long stretch of cold. And hey, this is when you have time set aside to go hunting. So that's when you're going to go. Or you've planned it and you've scheduled it. And you want to go no matter what. Or you know what? You just want to be out there. And you don't care what the temperature is. So how do you do that? How do you prepare yourself? What kind of gear do you need for that? Well, before gear, I want to talk about conditioning. All right, this is not something that most people who work indoors think about. But you can, you can become conditioned for the cold. All right? And, and you will become conditioned for the cold the more time you spend outside. Now, you know, this is like, this is office worker syndrome, okay? Every day you get bundled up, you put on all your layers, you're covering your head and your face and your hands and everything. You go outside into the cold, but you're never really getting cold. I mean, you might have some cold that comes through in the cracks of your gloves, but you're out there for a couple minutes to go to and from your car, to and from wherever you're working, and then you take all those layers off, and then you're inside wherever you're working, and it's warm in there. And you're never really experiencing the cold. You're never becoming conditioned for the cold. A lot of people can go through the whole winter and come out in the spring having never gotten conditioned to the cold. So to become conditioned to the cold, you've got to be exposed to the cold. And so to do that, you have to go outside for prolonged periods of time with reasonable gear and spend time out in the cold. Now, a lot of times people, you know, 
I've had this happen to me, right? I'm used to whatever temperature we have in the house and at work. And then I go up to a cabin and I spend two, three, four, five days at a cabin. And, you know, we got a fireplace in the cabin, the cabin's heated. But in most places in the cabin, you know, it never gets really above 50 degrees. You got to go outside into the cold to go to the bathroom. You got to go outside into the cold to get water, to go do anything. It's just cold everywhere all the time. And you just get used to the layers that you're going to wear. And you're going to have these two layers on pretty much all the time. And you're going to go outside and you don't even care that it's cold. And after a few days, you get built up to the point where you are perfectly fine in certain temperatures. And then when I come back home, it's 70 degrees in the house and I'm so hot, I don't know what to do with myself because I've gotten acclimated to cooler temperatures and acclimated to wearing certain layers all the time. And now that I'm sitting in a house that's comfortable and warm and 72, it is just overwhelming. And so the very same kind of thing happens or in reverse for a lot of people in the winter and especially in very cold situations. We never really get acclimated to regular cold and then irregular cold or severe cold or the coldest 5% of the days just seem unbearable. But the reality is if we spend more time outside period in the winter, we will become more acclimated to the cold in the winter. And temperatures that used to bother us won't bother us anymore. And temperatures that used to be terrible, they're just cold. And so we are building up. A tolerance is not the right word, all right? Because, you know, the way that your body deals with cold, it's not really changing. You're not able to endure colder temperatures and survive colder temperatures. You're not building up a tolerance to the cold. You're becoming acclimated to it. And so we're really talking about comfort and discomfort, not danger and what your body's capable of acclimating to. So when I'm talking about being outside for a while and it doesn't bother me, I'm not saying my body now is able to keep warmer than it used to. I'm saying I've acclimated to the cold and I no longer even register certain levels of discomfort, right? I'm just, you know, if it's 50 degrees and I've got on one and a half layers, I'm fine. I don't care. I'm used to it versus if I'm just in my bubble and used to being at 72 degrees all the time and then I go outside and it's colder and after a couple minutes I'm like oh this is uncomfortable I feel really cold don't know what to do you're just not comfortable you can change that to some degree by just acclimating and so one of the ways that you deal with cold is by acclimating to the cold and so hopefully by the time you've reached the point in your season where you're at the coldest days of the year, you've been going out in cold weather, you know, this whole time. And so then, you know, when it's just a few degrees colder or 10 or 15 degrees colder, it's not this huge shock to your system because you've just acclimated to colder temperatures, to colder weather, to certain conditions and and the convenience and the comfort factor are not based upon, you know, this 72 degree indoor lifestyle that we've sort of made as the standard. All right. So that's one piece of it. Acclimating to the cold helps you to be comfortable in temperatures that are outside of your bubble. Now we talk about the actual thing you probably came here for, and that is the gear. What do you need 
to hunt in these kind of conditions. Well, it's the same mantra that I've been teaching for who knows how long, and that is this. You need two things. You need layers and you need barriers. Layers and barriers. How do you fight the cold with layers and barriers? Layers trap heat, keep heat to your body. Barriers keep the elements out. I've told the story before, but it'll bear repetition. I first began to learn about some of these things on a deer hunt that I had. And I was going out in you know, the coldest mornings of the season because that's when you had the most movement. And I found myself, you know, after a series of hunts, just so cold and just always being freezing. And one day I'm getting into my car to go out for the coldest morning of the year so far. And I have so many layers on. Like I could not hardly fit in the seat of my car. I was trying to sit down in my car in the driver's seat and it's like I had so many layers on, I was squeezed so tight, I almost could not slip down into the seat and drive the car. So I'm like, okay, well, I've got all the layers on that I can possibly put on. Not all the layers I own, just all the ones I could put on my body at any given time. So I got out there, I'm up in the tree stand, it's cold, it's windy, it's really cold, it's windy. I'm sitting there for a few hours and man, I just started getting cold. I mean, deep down cold, like, you know, shivering cold to the point where I'm like, I, I don't know how long I can be up here. And thank, thankfully, you know, I shot a deer at like 930 in the morning, something like that. And so I'm like, oh, thank God I get to leave. And so I remember I was so cold. I struggled to climb down the tree stand. I almost didn't know if I could get out of the tree stand. I just, I had to stand up and do exercises and warm-ups to loosen myself up enough to climb down. And then once I got down, I was so cold I couldn't feel dress the deer. I had to drag the deer with the guts in it a ways just to do some work just to exert myself enough to start warming up my body so I could start to use my hands again. I was that cold. And so I remember, you know, finally got warmed up, got the deer processed, got it back, you know, ended up being a good day. And then of course the next day I got sick and I was sick that season. This kept happening. I just kept getting sick. I'd be so cold. And then within the next couple days, I'd get sick. And I realized, you know what? I can't wear any more layers. This is not a question of more layers or thicker layers. I realized I need better layers. And I don't even know what that means, but I knew that I needed them. And that began my journey into all of the different aspects of hunting gear and apparel and fabrics and so on. Now, I've talked about some of these things in the past. I've done episodes on all the different types of insulation that hunting gear is made out of. I've done episodes on how to pick a good pair of outerwear or bibs and a parka. I've done some reviews on YouTube and on my blog at thenewhuntersguide.com. You know, you got show notes there of every episode, but I also have been doing articles and reviews on different pieces of gear and so on. And so I've talked about some of these things at length, so I'm not going to go into super depth about each and every one from the ground up because it's out there. You guys can go listen to it. But 
I realized I needed to find gear that outperformed the gear that I had. I no longer could just do more gear. I needed better gear. And I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know where you would find this better gear. I just assumed it had something to do with all the really expensive gear that was at Cabela's and Gander Mountain and you know various other stores that don't exist anymore that I never bought or even looked at closely because it cost so much money. I just walked right on by it. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. And so I began to educate myself. And I began to learn about different fabrics. And I began to learn, you know, why am I always so cold when the wind blows? Well, I realized that the coat that I was wearing, in fact, all the layers that I were wearing, none of them had a wind barrier. None of them had anything on them that was windproof, waterproof, or anything that was going to keep the elements out. When the wind blew, it went straight through me. It went through my coat. It went through my pants. It went through my hat. It went through my gloves. It went through my shoes. It was just... Everything was cutting right through me. I had no defense against it. Even if I managed to get warm for a little bit, a stiff breeze picked up, and then within seconds, it was just it would just cut right. Even with five layers on, just would cut right through me. And I realized, okay, I need to find some some gear that has some outer barriers, something that is windproof, something that's if it's water resistant, it's also going to be wind resistant. Uh, you know, usually they will never pass up the opportunity to say both, right? But if it is water resistant, it's probably going to keep the wind out too. And if it keeps the wind out, that doesn't mean it's water resistant. It doesn't go that doesn't go both ways. But if it keeps out water, it's going to keep out wind. And so I began to look into search, and uh, my wife actually found me a old school, vintage-ish Cabela's coat. And this coat has had a Gore-Tex exterior with down insulation and a big hood. And I mean, this thing was massive and it was thick and it was heavy duty and it was super warm. And I remember like, okay, well, next, next cold hunt I go and I'm wearing this. And she got it like at a thrift store for 10 or $20 or something like that. And so... I'm like, okay, well, I looked into it. It was like a $400 coat when it was New Year's ago. And so I'm wearing it. So I put this coat on. I went out hunting and, uh, you know, I'm sitting there and the wind's blowing. And it was really interesting because I was still freezing, but my pants, my legs were cold. My feet were cold. My hands were cold. My head was cold. But in my chest, in my core, the wind was not cutting through. I, I felt 
warmer. I felt protected in that one piece of gear better than I ever had before. However, that one piece of gear was not designed for whitetail hunting. I don't know if it was made for pheasant hunting or waterfowl hunting or what, but it was so loud that if I just moved my arm, I mean, even to, to pick up a gun or a bow or anything, it was so loud, I felt like you could hear it from 100 yards away. It was just like this, this unbelievable nylon exterior kind of sound. It was, it was just unbelievably loud. And, um, you know, I had no deer come close to me that day. I was just felt so loud breathing. I felt like I was making noise. That coat was so loud. And so while that didn't help me hunting deer, I had a breakthrough moment. And really that coat was so big and, and it was hard to hunt with and for pretty much anything. And so I've not used it much. I never used it much. I've only worn it a couple times, but it taught me a very valuable lesson that said, hey, there's something to this stuff. There's something going on here. And so I began a in-depth research, experimentation, testing phase where I began to piece by piece level up my gear. And so, of course, I started with the outer layers first because I needed to keep the wind and the rain off of me. I just had to find a way to keep that wind out and to stay dry. So I began to get some outer layers. And then I began to say, hey, I need some good footwear. And then I needed some gloves. And then I needed some good headwear. And piece by piece, not all at once, not all in one season, not all in one year, I began to level up my gear. And so I could tell you all different kind of brands and products, and I'll, I'll do some of that for things that I found that works really good. But guys, the bottom line here is that you need stuff that has barriers. And there are brands that make really good stuff, and then there are other options that are out there. And I'll tell you about some of that momentarily. You don't have to spend tons of money to get layers and barriers. Of course, you can get some really nice ones if you're willing to spend tons of money, but there are other alternatives out there. So then I got that gear all layered up. I realized, okay, I need to work on my mid layers. So I, I upped my game on my mid layers some. I didn't spend anywhere near as much money on mid layers as I did outer layers, but I realized I needed some better mid layers. I had to stop wearing things like cotton because once cotton gets wet, it stays wet. And it, when cotton gets wet, it has almost no thermal insulating properties anymore. It's really a bad uh, material to make any kind of active hunting gear out of. And then I had to level up my base layers. And so I worked on that for a little while and I, I got some better base layers that did help me. And then I got some much better base layers and I went to base layer school and, and just looked through and researched and learned everything I could learn about base layers. And so the things that you need, the things that are really important is not about any particular brand, any one particular product. It's about principles, principles of gear. Layers and barriers. So I'm going to start from the inside and work your way out. So when you want a good base layer for super cold weather hunting, that base layer needs to do two things. It needs to keep you warm and it needs to keep you dry. People talk about odor management and scent lock and shut up. All right, just shut up, go away, 
go back to November, go back to the early season, go back to when it's warm outside, go back to when you have the privilege of, of worrying about things like that and uh, you're not out there for survival, all right? Scent lock matters nothing in January and February. Just throw that away, all right? You need to survive, and you need to be comfortable, and then you can worry about scent. And oh, spoiler alert, none of that matters anyway if you play the wind. If you know how to use the wind, if you know how to hunt the wind, you don't have to worry about scent. You can eat garlic and onions twice a day. You're going to be fine. You need to hunt the wind more than anything else. But so many people are pouring money in the things that try to hide their scent and their base layers, and they're just getting average and mediocre quality warmth in order to get that, quote, scent lock. Whether or not that even helps or not, I don't know, but you're cold. And you can't have that. So your next-to-skin layer has to be something that's going to keep you warm and keep you dry. And if you get wet, it still needs to keep you warm. And so there's a bunch of different options out there, but it's got to have some heft to it. You know, I used to be a fan of these paper thin base layers because you didn't even know you're wearing them. And, you know, they didn't hinder or restrict your movement at all. And they were super comfortable and all of that. And I still like those for, you know, when it's warm outside, but when it is freezing, they don't do enough. They're just not enough. You need something with some heft to them. So what I have been finding to be the most effective base layers, not my opinion, but my testing, have been high-end, heavy-duty, uh, sort of what lofted and waffle-cut synthetic polyester brands and blends. Most notably, I did a gear test last season or last winter where I tested, uh, among other things, the Cabela's Extreme White Tail... Oh, I keep forgetting. It's like the ECWCS system or whatever it is. That's, there's so many acronyms in there. But their base layers held up really, really well, both dry and wet. And they were on the cheaper side of high-performance base layers. They were in the $40 to $50 per piece uh, range versus your super high-end base layers that are going to be mostly made of merino wool which I've found to be the best of the best. Um, pretty much nothing out there beats Merino. And I've recently done all kinds of episodes, both on the podcast and on YouTube, where I just went in depth about what makes Merino wool you know, such a good insulator and all the other properties of it. But the bottom line is keeps you warm, keeps you dry, and maintains its insulative properties when it gets wet. So I really like things like the First Light Furnace 350 weight Merino tops and bottoms. Um, those are some of the best that are on the market. I recently did a video review on YouTube where I just went in depth talking about those. They are double or more the price of the Cabela's. And no, they don't give you double the performance, but they do give you more performance. And they're worth more. Um, if they're whether they're worth double or not, that depends on you, and that depends on you know your budget and your style and what what you value. Um, but they work really, really nice. So then you got to have a base layer that has some heft to it, that's going to wick moisture, and it has serious thermal insulating capabilities. The mid layers you come out from there, you need things that are going to hold heat. 
They're going to hold heat, but they're also going to facilitate moisture transfer. They're going to facilitate the moisture going from your body, from your base layers, outward to evaporate and get that moisture out of there. And so there's all kinds of different options for mid-layers. Um, telling you what to use is actually harder than telling you what not to use because there's so much out there. What should you not use? You should not use cotton hoodies. And you should not use most cheap hoodies. They just don't have the insulative capabilities or the moisture conductivity that you need out of a good mid-layer. There's all sorts of good things out there that are made out of fleece. They make some even out of merino wool and merino blends. They make some that are down or down alternatives. You know, they have some really nice sort of mid-layered jackets and things that are uh, lined with Thinsulate or Primaloft or something like that. Down works really good as a mid-layer, maybe one of the greatest mid-layers that there is until it gets wet. And down loses a lot of its thermal insulative properties when it gets wet, which is why they invented treated down, which does better and resists moisture. But that's the number one reason they invented Primaloft and Thinsulate and other synthetic insulations, because they wanted something that had the warming value of down, but didn't lose its warming value when it got wet. And that's why those things exist. And some of them work really well at it. So you want something in the middle there that is going to be insulating, that's going to have you know properties to it to hold heat as well as keep the moisture moving through and out. Then for your outer layers, you got to have something that is insulated and breathable. All right, so Gore-Tex comes to mind. It's the number one thing that's out there. But there are lots of Gore-Tex alternatives Things that are just as effective or almost as effective as Gore-Tex that lots of different companies use that's going to do that job. And so what that layer does is it stops wind from coming in. It stops rain from coming in, but it allows moisture to escape. And the way that it does that is by the, the size of the pores or the holes in the material. So quick science lesson, when you have liquid water, those molecules are a certain size. When you have water vapor, those molecules are smaller. So the vapor molecules can escape through the material, but the condensed liquid molecules cannot. So the moisture inside of you can evaporate out of your jacket, but the rain falling on the jacket can't get into the jacket. So it keeps you dry while keeping you warm, while keeping the wind out, while keeping the water out. Now, that said, it doesn't work anywhere near as well as the marketing. They would lead you to believe that, you know, you're just going to sit there and always be dry if you're wearing this. And you will sweat and you can sweat more and faster than it can evaporate out through the jacket. And that's a real thing. And you can still get moist. But it's totally different than if you're wearing something like a vinyl rain suit, which I have, which I've done where eventually you just get so wet from sweating underneath and that moisture can never escape that you enter the point where you're actually in a dangerous place. Your, your garments underneath reach a saturation point to where now you can't get warm anymore. 
and that vinyl does nothing for insulation and the wind blows and the water on the vinyl gets cold and it sucks the heat out of you and because the layers under the vinyl are also wet it becomes this big heat draining magnet that just sucks the heat out of your body and that's where you can end up in serious trouble and I've gotten sick because of that also so just because it's waterproof and windproof doesn't make it something that you want. It's not necessarily ideal. So the best outerwear is going to have a windproof, waterproof barrier, Gore-Tex or some other material. Then it's going to have insulation. Might be Primaloft, might be Thinsulate, might be down or treated down. Could be Thermalite, could be a dozen other synthetic insulations. There's probably more than that. Then you can have some sort of interior. That interior might be fleece, that interior might be some kind of polyester, might be uh, some sort of wool mix or something like that. So it's going to really act as several different garments in one, and those are going to be your high-end bibs and parkas. Now, I really like stuff that's made by um, First Light. I really like stuff that's made by Sitka. For the last couple years, I've been using stuff that's made by Cabela's because I was able to get it drastically cheaper on sale and use gift cards. And so I was able to, to build up my gear some using their stuff, which is on the same level as the higher end, more expensive brands. Maybe not quite as good, but you're in the same ballpark and that's really all that you need. You got to get into that ballpark. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, there are cheaper options out there. So, for example, Cabela's has their other in-house brand, Redhead. And they make some really good stuff under the Redhead brand that, yes, it is lower quality, but it's also much lower price. And they make insulated bibs and coats and parkas. And, you know, they are in the ballpark of what you need. Now, they are not Gore-Tex. They're some Gore-Tex alternative. They're often not Thinsulate or Primaloft. They're some synthetic insulation alternative. They're not using merino wool, but they might use regular wool. And so forth and so on. And they cut corners and they cut costs in various ways. But it really is a robust brand of clothing. And for their heavy-duty exterior layers, what you will find, what I've often found, is that the redhead stuff is maybe half the price of the Cabela stuff, and but it's three quarters of the quality. So you're you're you are behind a little bit in quality, 
but you're behind a lot a lot more in price which makes it a good deal a good good entry or mid-level piece of gear to help you get out there without having to spend you know three four five hundred dollars on a parka or bibs you can get out there a lot of times for spending a hundred or 150 bucks on their highest end stuff and it is going to compete against the against those same pieces that are drastically more expensive there are other brands and you know for years field and stream made some really good stuff that was insulated that had windproof waterproof membrane but it wasn't using any of the high brand materials again like Gore-Tex or Thin Slate or Primaloft. They wouldn't even tell you what they're using. They just said synthetic insulation. They just said windproof, waterproof barrier. And that's what you got. And you could pick that up for, you know, oftentimes on sale for 80 bucks for a pair of bibs or for a parka or something. And it worked in that same zone as your high-performance outerwear. Now, it's not as good as the $400 Sitka coat, but for only 80 bucks, who cares, right? You're getting out there. You're able to, 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 to compete at that or in that game. You might not be competing at the same level, but you are competing in the same game. So you're able to use that kind of gear in order to, to leverage that and get out there and you can always buy better gear later. You can always spend more money later if you have more money later. But how do you get out there now? And so a lot of different um, stores and chains have their own branded stuff. All right. A lot of them do. They, they might not call it after themselves. Like, for example, for years and years, Dick's Sporting Goods sold Field and Stream brand. Well, they owned the Field and Stream brand. That was their house brand. They eventually did open some Field and Stream stores, but the brand predated the stores. And so, you know, they had this brand that they sold in their stores, and it was always cheaper than all of the name brand stuff. But the quality was in the same ballpark. And of course, that's their play. They're making 100% profit on that stuff, so they can sell it cheaper. And they can source cheaper materials because they're making it in bulk and they're doing all these things. And um, But what you end up with is a piece of gear that lets you compete in a game you couldn't otherwise get into. You don't have the best gear, but for what you're paying, it's really hard to beat. So a lot of the big box stores, they've got stuff that's like that, right? And that's exactly what Redhead has become for Cabela's. Um, and there's many other ones that are out there. So that is a great place to look for some high-performance outerwear that is going to let you play in that game, but without costing you, uh, you know, what the pro stuff costs. And so I really wish that early on I had just spent a little bit more and gotten some stuff like that than what I did buy, which was basically the cheapest stuff I could find. But it was not terribly more to get some stuff that had, you know, the, the features that I needed. I just didn't know. I didn't know why I would spend another $20 on this coat that has a windproof barrier when I could spend $20 less and get this coat that seems a little puffier. And, you know, maybe that puff makes you warmer. I just didn't know what to look for. 
had no idea. I was just clueless. I was just buying solely based on price and by what it felt like maybe when I put it on. But even then, I probably wouldn't even have tried on the more expensive one to have any idea. So next, you talk about gloves. All right, you got same deal with gloves. You got to have barriers and you got to have layers. So you got to have liner gloves inside of a bigger glove that's got a windproof, waterproof something capability to it. I've become a big fan of Glomets. Cabela's, Cabela's makes a really nice Gore-Tex windstopper Glomet. Did a full review on it on my website under the articles and reviews, newhuntersguide.com. Um, you know, Gore-Tex exterior, 320 grams of Thinsulate uh, on various parts, um, map Thinsulation, Thinsulate insulation, so different parts have different thicknesses. They work really well with a liner glove. Um, I can pop my fingers out of the mitten and then be able to shoot. Boots, again, got to have layers and barriers, right? You got to have good quality socks, not wool, or excuse me, not cotton wool or merino wool or some kind of wool or blend that's going to keep your feet warm even when they get wet. And you got to have boots that are insulated and weatherproof. Now, waterproof boots matter more than waterproof anything else, all right? You got to have waterproof boots, not just water-resistant. Water-resistant coat and pants is fine, but water-resistant boots means wet feet because wherever you're walking is going to be wet, and that if that wet can go through, it will go through. So I've become a big fan of the muck-style boot I've got a nice pair of Muck Arctic Pro boots. Did a video review on those. But I also have a nice pair of Redhead boots that are the same style. They just cost a fraction of what the Mucks cost and they're not as insulated. So I'll use those a lot of the season except when it's super cold and then I'll use the better Muck boots. But there's a lot of options out there but there's almost no cheap ones. You're going to pay 100 bucks to 200 bucks these days especially, for a quality pair of insulated waterproof boots. Now, I have totally gone away from laces, except for like my hiking boots. Um, but when it's ultra cold, I'm not wearing those. I've just become anti-lace for me in the morning, in the cold, in the dark. I hate laces. And so any boot I can slip on that's windproof, waterproof, and insulated, that's become my favorite. Um, and those seem to work good for me. You do you, but make sure it is insulated and waterproof, and that really matters. Now, some hacks, all right, for these different things. You know, you get those hand warming packs, and those things are amazing. Hot Hands or Heat Factory, or there's a dozens of brands. Most of the time, it really doesn't matter that much. Most of them work just in, just as well as others or they just work well enough for what they cost and I like to put those in my gloves I like to put those in my boots I like to put those in my pockets sometimes uh, if you're someone that hunts with a hand warming muff that sort of clips onto the front of your coat or you just keep it on your lap and you put your hands into it those can work really nice again layers and barriers as you throw some of those hand warming packs in there, it's always warm when you stick your hands in and you can just grab onto those hand warmer packs. That can be a good way to get around the glove problem. You can get a nice hand warming muff for cheaper than you can an ultra, a pair of ultra high-end gloves. So that is a good option for some people. I've not quite 
mastered that or, or integrated that into my gear. I have one, but I've not quite found the rhythm for me in using one just yet, but I like them. I plan to experiment more with them, but some people swear by them. And if it's something you have interest in, it's something you ought to try. So those are some hacks there. When it comes to headwear, all right, it's not just about wearing a hat anymore on the coldest days. You got to have a balaclava, which is just a fancy word for a face mask that's extra thick that just, you know, covers your head, your neck, your face, your the back of your neck, your ears, everything, and then you put your hat on over top of that. I think First Light makes the best balaclava on the market. They have their Tundra balaclava. I find myself wearing this way more than I need to. It's just so comfortable. It does more than any other one layer. Um, but when it's super Arctic cold, I got to add to that. I can't just wear that by itself. You got to have another layer on top of that to keep your head warm, especially dry. You need something to keep you dry. Cabela's has a nice, uh, a nice hat in their extreme white tail Gore-Tex hat. Really nice, really warm if it fits you. It doesn't fit me great. I can't hear anything when wearing it, but it is super warm and I've used it to good effect in the past. First Light also makes their Tundra beanie now. It's new for this year. I had to get one the moment they came in stock. I just couldn't help myself. I'm like a fancy hunting hat snob. I just have to have it. And a really nice piece of equipment. Super good. Um, the only issue is it won't fit up, it won't fit over the tundra balaclava. So it's like I have to pick one or the other. And so I think there might be a bit of a miss there on their end, but hey, it's a really nice hat. Sitka probably makes the highest end of all hats on the market in terms of their fanatic beanie and their incinerator beanie. Uh, they are unbelievable pieces of gear, also unbelievably priced. Uh, probably not something most people that are new or even mid-grade gear are even going to consider. But, you know, if you're willing to spend 80 to 100 bucks on a beanie, there's probably no better one you could buy. If there was, I'd be interested in it. Um, but that said, I have one. I bought one using Cabela's Points uh, maybe two seasons back. I think I did a review on it on YouTube or included it in some reviews. Really nice beanie. The warmest, best, waterproof, super duperest beanie ever, blah, blah, blah. I don't wear it that much. I found I really don't wear it that much because it's just not that versatile. And I'm never going to wear it by itself because I'm going to have to have a balaclava on if it's that cold. And it's just not very versatile for my setup and for the way I hunt and for the gear that I wear. I do wear it. I do. It is a treasured piece of my gear, but for what it costs, I wish I would wear it more. And I didn't pay for it with my own cash. I used points, so it's didn't like it didn't come out of my pocket, but I did pay for it. And um, you know, it's super nice, but I just wish I got more use out of it. And it's not something I would probably recommend most people buy unless they were able to use it all the time. And so I haven't mastered that yet because it's really a specialized piece of gear. So guys, what the, the bottom line of that piece of the story is, don't look out there and say, oh man, if I just had that, that would solve all my problems. I'd be warm. I'd have the best hat or the best parka or the best bibs or the best boots. 
because those things are not perfect. They don't always work the way you think they're going to work. They're not always the best fit for you. Just like me in this $100 Sitka hat, I do still like it. I'm glad I have it, but I rarely use it because it is just not the best fit for my gear and 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 with you know my kit and system and what I found to work layer wise. Um, I still have it in the mix. Maybe one day I'll find a better place for it. But the bottom line is if I didn't have that, it really wouldn't change what I'm able to hunt. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It really, that did not open any new doors to me. I thought it would. I was hoping it would. Why else would you spend that kind of money unless you thought it was going to? But the bottom line is it didn't make that big of a difference. And so that's the way it is with a lot of things. You think, oh man, if I had that, that would make the difference. And sometimes it might help. Other times it it might not be anywhere near what you think it is. Or it just might not work for your style the way you think it might work. So don't be discontent or or think of yourself like a second-class citizen if you can't buy premium-grade hunting gear. Because the bottom line is even if you had it, it might not be something you would use or that worked well for you. And now that leads me to the last piece of the story here. And that is heated gear, powered gear, electric hunting gear. So nowadays, they make all kinds of electric stuff. They make electric vests. They make electric coats. They've got electric socks. They probably have electric pants. I haven't seen any, though I also haven't looked. And so you've got all this stuff out there. They've got electric gloves and everything else using batteries to create warmth, to warm your gear and keep you warm. Is that something that you need to hunt super-duper Arctic-level cold days? And uh, the answer to that is it could be something helpful, something that you might use or that might benefit you. It could be a game changer for you, but it is not an automatic game changer. All of these things have pros and cons. So I've actually been testing and evaluating some electric gear this past season, um, planning to do a YouTube video about it, just sort of talking on that subject specifically. I don't know if that'll air before or after this episode airs. Of course, I I record everything in advance, so not always entirely sure what's going to come out when. But, um, you know, what I have found is that the electric gear is nice. It's interesting. For some people, it's going to be a great fit. For other people, they're just not going to use it. So, you know, take the vest, for example. I've been using a Go Hunt vest for, for the last little while. And it's a heated vest. It's got heat elements in the front and the back, top and bottom in the back. Um, it's kind of cleverly designed. So there's pockets and the heat elements are behind the pockets. So they warms up the pockets that you put your hands into, which, uh, you know, is, is really cool some of the time. But you're, if you're wearing that vest under a parka, then you can't access those pockets and it doesn't matter. But the vest is nice. 
It's nice because it's versatile. It's nice for days where you're like, okay, it might be real cold in the morning, but it's going to be warmer later, or you're going out in the middle of the day and it's going to be warm then and then get cold. And so when the weather changes, instead of adding layers or instead of removing layers, you could turn the vest on or off. And that gives you a little bit of extra warmth. That gives you some extra heat. It's nice. Um, I have enjoyed it. However, you got to be a vest guy. If you're not a vest guy, you're probably not going to use that vest, right? Um, you know, you got to be a gadgets guy. If you really don't like gadgets, you're just probably not going to use it. And I'm not a huge gadgets guy. I'm sort of in the middle, but uh, it's an interesting piece. I've been liking it. I'm still waiting for one of those 5% coldest days of the year to take it out and really put it to the test. But thus far, the vests, and there's a lot of them out there, they're interesting. I think they have a place. Some people, they're going to be the answer. Other people couldn't care less. But it's not going to be an across-the-board thing where you have to have this in your gear or else. It really depends on your style, on what you like. They've got, the, they've got jackets. They've got heated jackets. And um, similar to the vest, but like I've got a Dubu soft shell jacket that I've also been using. I've even done some duck hunting in the rain with it. It's waterproof electric jacket. I was like, okay, I'm going to put my life on the line testing this thing out because I'm not going to let them get away with that marketing claim without trying it. And uh, works pretty good. It's a nice jacket. I really like it. I've actually find myself wearing it to work on cold days. I kind of wish I had one in black instead of camo because, you know, I just could wear it more places. And so what I found with the heated jacket is very nice, versatile. You can push a button and all of a sudden you have the heating capacity of a bigger, heavier coat than what you're wearing. Good jackets, warm. But the thing about the jackets is their limitation is that you can only wear one of these until it gets so cold. It's a jacket, not a parka. So when it gets really cold, the 5% coldest days of the year, I got to wear a parka. You know, I can't use the jacket under the parka. It's too thick and bulky. You can't wear a soft shell under a parka. It just doesn't, just doesn't work. And so the jacket is good for cool days, cold days, medium or middle of the season days. But when the coldest of the coldest come, I can't use it. Um, I wish I could, but it's just, you can't, it's just a parka is going to give you more protection, more insulation, more total warmth than an, than a heated jacket. Now you could put a vest under a parka and then, you know, that helps you. And so that's, like I said, I'm working on getting to a point where I can really put that to the test. Haven't been able to quite yet. That's coming. I'll talk more about it in the future, but those are options. Heated gloves, I've not found a pair I can shoot in. So hopefully soon, maybe we'll see something in that zone. But so far, I think you can just write that off unless you know of some that I don't know of. Haven't found a pair I could shoot in. When it comes to the heated socks, those are kind of interesting. I kind of like them. Um, however, my go-to is still my darn tough merino wool heavy boot sock. It just goes up over the calf. And those are hands down the best sock I've ever touched. Um, well, the thing about the heated socks is I've not found any that are made out of high-end material. 
I have not seen any merino wool or merino wool blend heated socks. They're all they're either cotton or they're just some sort of thinner polyester. I, I I've seen some nice ones. I have a pretty good pair of uh, the Go Hunt vest heated socks. You know they're they're a nice add to the gear, but. I wish there was somebody, I've not seen anyone doing it. If you do, send me a note that was making some high-grade, high-quality merino wool socks that were thick and warm and robust of their own right. And then on those super cold days, you could put batteries in them and turn them on and really warm things up. So, you know, that's what I'd like to see. I haven't seen that yet. And so for the coldest of the cold days, I'm still turning to, you know, heavy merino wool sock, maybe also with a liner sock, and then taking a hot hands heat pack and throwing that in my boots. That's what I, that's my setup for the coldest of the cold days. Um, maybe one day we'll have an electric sock that can do something about that, but I just haven't seen it yet for whatever reason. So the electric gear, nice, interesting, might be really good for some people. For other people, eh, it could be could be a fad, could just be you know gadgetitis. It does work. It does work. I can tell you from experience, they really do work. They really do create some heat. They really are helpful. But you got the limitations of the gear and the pieces and the materials. You got to have batteries. You got to think about all these things. And some people they don't want to mess with that. What I can tell you is that you can get a nice electric coat or an electric vest for a lot cheaper than you can a super high-end piece of Sitka gear or First Light gear. And you can get a cheaper electric piece of gear that you can then turn on and give you heat and warmth comparable to a more expensive jacket or a more expensive vest. So they have a place there in terms of versatility. They have a place there in the price market of you know what they're able to give you for what they cost. They're still not cheap though. They are not super cheap, but compared to ultra high-end gear, they're much less expensive. And when you turn on the heat, they give you warmth that's on par with gear that costs a lot more money. So they've got a place. They've got a place. I think they've got a place in my gear setup ongoing. But when it comes to the coldest days of the year, I'm still working on it. Still trying to find the right mix. So, guys, I really hope this is helpful for you. Head to the website, newhuntersguide.com. Also, please leave a review on iTunes. It's the number one way to help the channel grow. Five-star reviews with comments. Don't do it for me or my ego. Do it to help this content reach more people. Thank you guys so much for listening. Really appreciate you. Till next time, God bless you guys, and go get them in the woods. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device.
On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.